Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Yeah, we're back. This is Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, episode 383. As we try to figure out what your audience is thinking while you're persuading them, how can you adjust their thinking, understand their thinking? I call it persuasion IQ skill number two, understanding how your audience thinks. Hoping everyone's having a good week. I'm refreshed, renewed, spent over a week on the island of Kauai. That's in Hawaii for my international friends. Did some business, did some brainstorming with a company there working on an incredible project. I will reveal that later. Beautiful island. It's known as the Garden Island. Very green. Rains a little bit more, but very green. That's where a lot of Jurassic Park was filmed. Actually took a helicopter to the Jurassic Park waterfall. Highly recommended. Great beaches, great people, a lot of fun. think that's becoming my favorite island in Hawaii. No offense, I think after I visit every island, it becomes my favorite island. They all have something unique and different to offer. But the good news is, hotels were about at 90% capacity. Things are getting back to normal. Pretty exciting as we move forward to make this your year. So let's start off with the persuasion blunder. Homer? Don't, don't, don't! So this goes to my trip to Kauai. So you have to get tested for COVID before you go. Kind of big rigmarole, 72 hours before, documentation. It gets kind of crazy. And when you land, the military is there to make sure, I guess, you don't run. (laughs) You don't try to get in with this thing. I don't know, but it was not the warmest welcome. So the first blunder, not a warm welcome. You imagine people with their lays and their flowers and welcome you. No, this was not a warm welcome. These were long lines in a hot room, checking your paperwork verifying your ID. It was crazy. So people were not happy. So as an influencer, I do know that anger, bad moods does not help you influence people. It's a downward spiral. For example, when I go to a hotel and the first two or three things go right, then everything I'm looking for things that are going right. But if the two or three things go wrong, now I'm looking for everything that's wrong with this hotel and I'm going to give it bad reviews. That's a mindset thing. So as an influencer, I'm looking at this. I'm sure they want repeat tourism. I mean, Kauai has not been open that long for tourism. They shut it down because of the pandemic. So I'm analyzing this. What happened? And a lot of it was the flight over. (laughs) There was a little mutiny on the flight to where everybody on the flight had tested negative for COVID and still had to wear masks. And the flight attendants, I would say, were pretty condescending about the mask and wearing the mask and having to wear the mask. And part of the challenge there is the why. There was really no why. You had to. You were forced to. And of course, when you back people in a corner, they rebel. And there were pockets in the plane saying, no, we're not going to wear them. We're all negative. That didn't help the situation. So that happened before we landed. Then we land to long lines, military uniforms, dare I say, Nazi-like interrogations, having to have your paper, or we're not letting you in. We're sending you back to the mainland. So here's where I see the blunders. Not knowing the why. 
there was really no why. I mean, we kind of get it, but there were a lot of things that were happening that people didn't get, they didn't understand, they didn't know the why. When people know the why, they accept it a little easier. They might not agree with it, but at least they know the why. That is the first thing. The second thing is the demeanor. These are employees, probably government workers, overworked, underpaid, not happy, going through the motions, dealing with probably some mean tourists that don't get it, that were firing back, that didn't like the process. So you got meanness going back and forth. Third thing we've talked about on the podcast before, long lines, the psychology of waiting. Now, if you're interested in the podcast on the psychology of waiting, go to the archives. That's available at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Also the place where you can get your free book, Maximum Influence. That's a new edition. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. Take your free persuasion IQ assessment and get information on InfluenceUniversity.com. So the waiting, just the waiting, the long lines. Again, understaffed, hours, I, both sides you're looking at, but nobody likes to wait. Especially after sitting in an airplane for, what, five or six hours. The fourth thing I would say is the temperature. It was very warm. People were sweating. That doesn't help the anxiety, the nervousness, the patience. There is something about temperature. We do know the most persuasive temperature is probably 68 to 70 degrees. Now, sometimes it's hard to do in a tropical place where they don't have air conditioning, but these were sealed rooms, probably could have a little air conditioning. Did not help the situation. And the final one, maybe a smile, <laughs> a welcoming, maybe the first thing off the plane, a smile, a welcome, a band, a lay, chocolate, candy, something to make that transition a little bit better instead of boom. The first thing you see is very negative, military. That's another thing. Do you really need the military there? Are people running? Or maybe at least the military can wear some Aloha shirts or an island shirt, something a little more appealing. But the big one is the why. People don't get it. They don't understand. Some people are more willing to deal with that than others. But that can cause a lot of hesitation, a lot of anger, a lot of anxiety. Just a good, logical, this is why, this is why we have to do it. That can make a big difference. And that's a blunder. It could have been done in so many different ways to make the transition a little bit better. Now, I fear that everyone's looking for everything that's wrong because that's how the trip started. Just saying, just putting it out there, that is the persuasion blunder of the week. Which brings us to the geeky scholarly article. This comes from Penn State, the Journal of Neuroscience, and the neuroscientist, Dr. Joseph Cable. Now, we talked about last podcast about vision and the future versus worry, which is a form of fear. And the key to success, of course, is turning those negative thoughts into more positive thoughts that worry into a positive vision. Again, in the Journal of Neuroscience, about what happens to the brain when we imagine the future. Because depending on what you do here, you can look at the future with great excitement and anticipation or with great apprehension and fear. It's your choice. How do you look to the future? When you think to the future, is it giving you fear or is it giving you hope? Is it giving you anxiety? Or does it create excitement? It makes a difference designing your future. So Dr. Cable found that there are two sub-networks at work in the brain. So when you're imagining the future, one of these networks in the brain focus on creating the new event, while the other part of the brain was evaluating whether that event is a positive thing or a negative thing. Are you thinking about becoming a millionaire or going bankrupt? You think about getting the job or getting fired? 
So in these quiet moments, and that's the key, they found this happens in the quiet moments, not a lot going on. The brain likes to wander and think about the events of the future. Could be an unpaid bill, that vacation. So what they found is when our brain went to these events, these future events, there was very little external stimulation. And so when this happens, and I'm a big advocate to be alone with your thoughts, take time to visualize the future. But when you're in a moment with very little external stimulation, a quiet moment, there's part of your brain called the default mode network, the DMN. When you're not doing anything in particular, you're not in deep cognitive thought that your brain can start to imagine. So the research team discovered that when it comes to imagining the future, this network, the default mode network, splits into those two parts. Again, the one part is creating and seeing the future, also called the constructive function. Then the other part of your brain is trying to decide, okay, is this a positive thing or negative thing? They call that the evaluation function. See, this is a good thing. As humans, we need to have that ability to imagine the future. This helps us plan, make decisions, evaluate, maybe look around the corners, possible challenges. Is this good? Is this bad? So this imagination, again, can be a good thing. Imagine the future, visualize the future, success, wealth, achieving your goals. Whatever it is that you want is all right there. But of course, the negative side is the worry. What if I would get fired? The economy, COVID, things that are happening can have a downward spiral. So when it's done right, it can be a very positive thing. So what they did is put people into a brain scanner and asked them not to do anything, just to sit there to see the regions of the brain. So when they start to imagine, start to think, they can see these two different regions of things. One to evaluate, is it positive or negative? And one to start create, to construct that picture, that vision, that imagination of the future. And then sometimes they would even coax them. You know, imagine you're sitting on a warm beach on a tropical island. Imagine you win the lottery next year. And they had 12 seconds to think about the scenario. Then they rated the vividness and the balance of that imagination. So vividness is the degree to which the image that comes in their mind and how many details there are versus being just kind of vague. You know, on the beach, how many palm trees and where they were and there were, and there were dolphins playing in the water versus it was a nice beach. Valence is the emotional evaluation. Was it positive or negative? Do you want that to happen or not? And then they could go back and look at the MRIs and see what part of the brain was firing. So they went beyond just the good and bad. They took a deeper dive, give them better clues about the neural process. So it's good when you have a good imagination, you're thinking about positive things, make it vivid, create more detail, make it concrete, and spend time doing this. Now, I'm not going to say it's always going to be positive. Sometimes a negative imagination, thinking about the future, looking around the corners, I need to avoid this and not do this and not talk to this person. That's okay, but if it's always negative and it always has a negative outcome, the difference is between vision and worry. Worry is the negative things, negative goal setting, what if, what if, and there's never a positive outcome. Now, when you're visualizing the future, you're thinking about positive things and achieving your goals and getting what you want. Now, if you're imagining a few things along the way you got to watch out for, a few potholes in the road, a few things you got to avoid, but you're still going to get to the goal, that's okay. I'm okay with that as long as you can visualize ultimately getting your goal. 
And that's the difference between optimism and pessimism. Pessimism is negative, never going to work out, never going to happen, always bad. Optimism, I mean, good optimism is you know you're going to get there. You're not sure how sometimes. You know that hit a few brick walls, have a few challenges, but you know you're going to get there. That's the difference. So go for it. Visualize. Have an imagination. Just know that in your brain what's going on, and you can use it to change your life and make a huge difference. So that's our geeky, scholarly article. So let's dive into persuasion IQ skill number two, understanding how your audience thinks. You're not there to show up and throw up to vomit on them. You're there to understand how they want to be persuaded. Remember, you want to persuade people how they want to be persuaded. You need to find out where they are in the persuasion process. That's a huge blunder for a lot of people. It used to be in the past that you had to go from A to Z. Here's our company. Here's our product. This is what we do. And, and now you can't do that anymore because maybe they already know about your company, your product or service. They've done research on the internet. They know exactly what they want, or at least they've narrowed it down. If you start about history about your company and what you've done and how many years in business and, and product one through 17, no, no, no. You've got to start where they are in the persuasion process. That one tidbit alone will be very helpful to you. Where are they in that process? They might be on A. I doubt it. They might be on M, and that's where you need to start. you got to learn to ask more questions. Great persuaders ask three times more questions than the average person. And when you ask the right questions, they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade them and where to start in the persuasion process. Because remember, there are two paths to persuasion. There's the logic and the emotion, and you need to have both. Because people are persuaded, are sold on emotion, but when that emotion fades, they need the logic. I mean, logic is the evidence, the statistics, the studies, the graphs, the charts. A lot of people love that. A lot of people need that. And you do. But some people use that way too much. Then the emotions like stories, testimonials from people and how it changed them, analogies, pictures, metaphors can all trigger emotions. One of the big eye-openers for me, as I spent years researching my first book, Maximum Influence, is the subconscious triggers. Study after study showed that up to 95% of influence involved a subconscious trigger, a feeling, an emotion. I like them, I don't like them, I trust them, I don't trust them. I'm going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Does it feel right? Now, logic is important. All right, so the numbers make sense, that makes sense to do it, okay. But does it feel right? That's the key. You have to have both. Logically, it needs to make sense. The numbers make sense. The investment makes sense. But does it feel right? And when those come together, you become a powerful influencer when you balance the logic and the emotion. It's always both. Now, again, some groups, you're going to crank up the emotion and reduce the logic. Some groups, you're going to crank up the logic to reduce the emotion. But you still need to have both, especially in a group setting. Because when I'm influencing somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I'm adapting to them. I'm persuading them how they want to be persuaded. In a group, I'm shooting down the middle a little bit more because I have different personalities in that room. Two very different persuasive presentations. Think about it. 95% a subconscious trigger of feeling. You know when somebody approaches you on the street, a stranger, within seconds you've judged them, you have a feeling whether you should talk to them or you should run. Now, these subconscious triggers could be a variety of things. A smell that brings up a childhood memory. I mean, you're all a factory system. A smell, boom, instant feeling, good or bad. Music that increases your adrenaline or could bore you to death. Or something that you feel disgusted, you don't know why. Color that makes you hungry, a word that makes you tense. 
liking someone you just met for no apparent reason. You're just kind of bonding or disliking them. Gestures that make you uneasy. Tone of voice that's a turn on or a turn off. Those are all subconscious triggers that people don't think about in the persuasion or even the sales process. See, the challenge is, is you're too close to what you're doing. You've lost the emotional impact. You've lost the emotional side of what you're doing. It happens all the time. That's why 80% of new products fail. We could talk about countless case studies on this one, where when you're looking at it logically, but your consumer's looking at it emotionally. Here's an example. Intel, they make computer chips. Now, a while back, they came out with a faulty computer chip. And the news media got a hold of this. People bought this chip and it had a flaw in it. And people were like, wait a minute, our computer chip has a flaw. And all the logical engineers at Intel, and you can be guilty of this too, we're not seeing the emotional impact of buying a new computer and knowing there's a flaw in it. That's an emotional thing. What if, what if, what if? They said, don't worry about it. You'd have to be a rocket scientist for it to make a mistake. There's a point zero 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 one chance that it's going to make a mistake. So logically, do not worry about it. It's not a big deal, but no. I bought a computer. It's brand new. It has a flaw. I want a new chip. I'm not going to deal with this. And you want to do one? The consumer cost Intel billions of dollars to replace all these chips, even though logically it did not matter. So you got to be careful. You're going on the logical side, doing your data dump versus your prospect. The person you're trying to persuade still has that emotional element. And a big piece of this is pricing and the perception of value. Only 6% of things that people bought are bought on price. People didn't buy the Yugo. It was the cheapest car ever made. I think it was out of old former Yugoslavia made out of Adobe clay. <laughs> I don't know what it was made out of, but it was very cheap. And of course it failed. We don't need a McDonald's or fast food or the cheapest every time. We don't buy the cheapest wine. We don't buy our clothes at thrift stores. You get what you pay for. We know that. But 67% of the time where it's too expensive, I can't afford it. You've blown your presentation it's just a knee-jerk reaction. And so that's a big piece about how the audience thinks. Because when you build that perception of value, then it becomes a no-brainer. So here's the Persuasion IQ question of the day. Let's see if you can get this one. Again, if you want to take your Persuasion IQ, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We'll even give you a little bonus for doing that. A little something-something. So think about this. When you show your product or service, what should you do to increase the perceived value? A... Show them the savings first. B, show them the most expensive item first. C, show the least expensive first. D, show the average price first. E, show the benefits. Well, I don't know if you got that or not. Benefits are important, but not always the first thing when you're trying to adjust the perception of pricing. That It does show that the answer is B. You should always show the most expensive item first. Why? Because the human brain's like, oh, I'd pay a thousand for that. I'd pay ten thousand for that. That's why when you go buy a car, like, well, my budget's twenty five thousand dollars. They're going to show you the fifty thousand dollar car, and you're going to leave with the thirty thirty five thousand dollar car. It's just adjust your perception of value and what you're going to get. It changes the anchor of what you're expecting to spend and what the value's going to be. So do not be afraid to show the most expensive. It adjusts their perception of what they're going to pay, what's going to happen. That's why they always have the price there slashed out so you can see what it was. That creates more value. 
That's why cars always have a retail price. That's why with any infomercial, you see them start high and coming down. And then they start going to, they start at 500 and then they go to 300 Then it's three easy monthly payments of and fill in the blank. And that's what you need to understand about your consumer right now is they think in monthly payments instead of the overall cost. I'm not saying that's a good thing for the consumer, but that's where their brains go. So start with the highest item. That's okay. Get into the mind. Create the value. Exchanging $1 to get $20 in value, that's a no-brainer. But changing a dollar for a dollar, I'm not sure. Changing a dollar for something, I'm not sure has the value. That becomes a challenge. That's why in negotiations, a lot of times it's okay to go first because you create the anchor. You can start as low, as high as you can. You create the starting point. That's known as door in the face. You can do that. Whether it's value or money or asking people to do things, that makes a huge difference. Can I get two of your time? No. Can I get 10 minutes? That traditionally doubles the yeses you're going to get. For example, here's the study. It went up to people saying, will you do a two-minute survey? And 25% said yes. But when they used, and this could be for the value of time or money or energy or anything, they said, could you do a one-hour survey? They're like, no. Like, well, can you at least do two minutes? Double to 50%. So get in their shoes. Understand how the audience thinks, the emotion, the logical side. We've talked about mood earlier, that mood matters. That's part of it. Get them in the right mindset to be persuaded, to be sold. Part of this too is being excited to deal with questions and objections. That indicates interest, that they're listening. They don't have questions or objections. That's the worst thing. Too many persuaders take it personally. Like I already talked about that. Or why are you asking that? That's a, I am afraid of that question. Let me just throw it out there. The objection you get the most is usually the one that you still have. If you keep getting it's too expensive, you probably feel it's not worth it. So you got to work on yourself, your own mindset, do a little research and handle questions and objections the right way, handle pricing and the perception of value the right way, understand, get in their shoes, persuade them how they want to be persuaded. So thanks for listening. Do appreciate it. All the information you need is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Do a little coaching to get some freebies to go to the archives to get more persuasion tools. Remember, you can find us under Maximize Your Influence under iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. Hit like, hit subscribe. Appreciate your comments. Appreciate your emails. Thanks for being here. Again, take something you learned today. Apply it. Use it. Become more influential. Learn how to negotiate. Understand consumer behavior. And go out and persuade with power.